Hi, friends. Welcome back to Nate Talks to His Friends About Jesus. Ah, man, I hope you're doing so well. Moms, I know you are doing so well because at least around here, school started. So, whoop! And, but that kind of means I have to go back to school. Anyways, let's jump back in and talk about some Come Follow Me for sections 91 through 93, right? So growing up, I loved to read as a kid. I still remember distinctly climbing out of the top bunk of my bunk bed and being super quiet as I crept into my closet. It was this this separate tiny little room with a door, but it also had one of those old school lights with a string that you pull. Well, I'd get in there, shut the door quietly, turn on the light, and I'd read books like Robin Hood just for hours. I just got lost in it, and I was there. And when it was over, I ached for that story. I I remember watching The Lord of the Rings in the theater and as the middle movie came to a conclusion and I knew that the next wouldn't be released for at least a year, I I remember thinking, I don't know if I can wait that long. I wanted to be there in Middle Earth. Now, here's the thing. I'm not one to dress up in costume and fight with foam swords or anything. I, I just felt like there was something in that moment, something calling to me. And truly, I don't think this is an extraordinary thing. This longing, this longing for God, this longing for home is planted in us. There, there is this idea that is just so natural and intrinsic to us that there is something more than this life, that there is something in great, greater in store. You're a wizard, Harry, right? Like, there's a reason this rings so true, why it's so engaging. And if you don't believe me, just look at the movies that the most people were enthralled with in the last like 10 years, like the top grossing movies of the last 10 years. 2011, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. 2012, Marvel's Avengers. 2013, Hunger Games. 14, American Sniper. 15, Star Wars, The Force Awakens. 16, Rogue One. 17, Star Wars. 18, Black Panther. And 19, Avengers Endgame. I don't know if you caught the pattern there, besides the fact that Disney is making a buttload of money, but they're all stories about being something more. Wizards, Jedis, superheroes, and two people with an exceptional talent for shooting stuff. But it's not just movies. There are these moments that are just so poignant, so rich, so good, they almost ache. Like when you first fall in love, that moment of first reaching over and holding their hand. When we think of an adventure in a foreign land, or or when we take that first step in, in taking up a subject that excites us, that moment of sunset, that moment of flow, there's a moment of whispered perfection and you want it. You're homesick for it. C.S. Lewis find, says it this way. He says, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world, end quote. Why do we feel this way? Well, Doctrine and Covenants 93 has some answers, some really profound answers, I think. First, verse 29. Man was also in the beginning with God. Intelligence or light uh, or the light of truth. And was not created or made, neither indeed can be. In other words, you have always existed in some form as an intelligence, whatever that is. 
but it seems to form the core of our identity in some way. Uh, but it was stagnant in its primal form. And so verse 9, the light and the redeemer of the world, the spirit of truth who came into the world because the world was made by him and in him was the life of man and the light of man. And worlds were made by him. Men were made by him. All things were made by him and through him and of him. So Jesus comes across and he makes us. He makes this world. All things are made by him. He's the actor made through him. Like they're, they're filtered and transformed through him in this creative process, changed in their state by flowing through his presence, made of him, like actually of him, of the same matter of the being of essence. Like you have this essence of God in you. These are interesting claims and verses here. And because this is true, you have an innate attraction to God. You are of him. Again, C.S. Lewis says, do fish complain of the sea for being wet? Or if they did, would that fact itself not strangely suggest that they had not always been or would not always be purely aquatic creatures? Then if we complain of time and take such joy in the seemingly timeless moments, what does that suggest? It suggests that we have not always been or will not always be purely temporal creatures. It suggests that we, have, we were created for eternity. End quote. Do C.S. Lewis is the man, is he not? Do fish complain of being wet? So why is it that so much of this earth doesn't seem like it fits? It's because we were created for eternity. So we have this longing for God, a, a homesickness for true connection. It's real. It's in us deep. And, and we try to get it in a variety of ways. No, we try all over the place. Verse 30, all truth and remember, in this context, the previous verse 29, man was also in the beginning with God, intelligence or light of truth, right? So we're talking about people here. So people are independent in the sphere which God has placed it to act for itself. And all intelligence, another synonym here for humans, especially in this context also, otherwise there is no existence. So in other words, each person is placed in their own sphere, meaning the time, place, and context they are on this earth, and is granted within that sphere the ability to act for themselves. So some might ask, if Jesus is the very essence of us, why does he permit disobedience or for us to act contrary to who he is? Well, it says here, otherwise there is no existence. I think that's a profound statement. Like, I don't know if you read Ender's Game, if not, go read it. I like it. But when the queen dies in Ender's Game, and I'm assuming most of you do, do all the, the rest of the, the aliens die with the queen. Although they're separate functioning organisms, they're really just one entity. What Jesus is after is something different. You are something different. You're always independent, just cared for and nurtured by the father. Verse 31, behold, here is the agency of man and, and here is the condemnation of man because that which was from the beginning is plainly manifest unto them. 
and they receive not the light. And every man whose spirit receiveth not the light, Jesus, is under condemnation. Or, or in other words, your, your progress is stopped when you don't receive Jesus, when you choose to use your agency in other ways. So what I'm telling you here is, is the real crux of, of life on this earth. What stops our progress on earth is just loving the wrong things. It's asking the wrong things to carry the full weight of the homesickness for God that we feel. You following me there? It's like this. Like we go to Disneyland because we feel a longing for connection and home. And and I'm telling you, we go to Disneyland not to ride Dumbo or Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. They're not that amazing. They're kind of crappy. Sorry, I know that's blasphemous to some of you. But we go to Disneyland for the nostalgia of it, the something more of it. Because you know by 4 o'clock you're all sunburned. You got a tummy ache from the insanely big turkey leg you ate in the churro. Your kids are burned out. But mom, mom is going to push through and trying to find that magic by staying for the light parade and the fireworks. Dude, straight up, I was asleep on the asphalt with a two-year-old on my chest by that point. And I don't take naps, man, but I was done. But we do this all the time. We, we think, if I can just find the right romantic partner, my homesickness will be cured. If I can find the right job, this longing will end. And for heaven's sake, sometimes they're like, if I can just get the right stuff, like if I can just remodel my house, thanks Chip and Joanna for the constant reminder that we need to remodel and remake stuff and get more stuff. We say, if I can just do these things, right? Then I will be happy. Then my homesickness and longing, this gaping hole will be filled. The crazy thing is we do all these things and it doesn't work. I mean, it kind of works, but it doesn't stick. Like when you get a new pair of shoes, a new phone, or even a car, it's really exciting. But then it fades and it's just a phone. Like you, you can even just put your energy into loving yourself. That seems to be a mantra these days. But you will get old and you will die. And if you like are carrying the whole weight of this homesickness, you are going to be crushed by every birthday, every wrinkle, every gray hair is going to be devastating. The same thing happens in relationships to an extent. That first kiss, that first awkward and out of sync kiss is just electric. Straight up, first time I kissed Kristen, Rock Canyon Park, fireworks going off. I lean in for the kiss and she laughs at me, but I'm committed to the cause. I keep going. Nothing but my lips on her teeth. I still loved it. But then things settle, even with the best people. And it's not that that, that, that is out of place or misplaced, but we just get used to it and it doesn't satisfy this innate longing. In fact, our pursuit of this longing through the wrong resources leads to misery. Like fame, being big on Instagram would be fun, people think. But are you mature enough right now to see how hollow that actually is? I just listened to Zac Efron talk about fame uh, on his show Down to Earth on Netflix. It is not what he hoped it was. It was so much more empty and hollow and shallow than he thought. What if you just focused on people? What if you put all your love and expectation for fulfilling this longing on flawed humans? It doesn't work. Like like with your kids, right? You end up suffocating them under your love. Like Howard's mom on the Big Bang Theory. Or you just crush them under the weight of your hopes 
as many striver at an Ivy League school has found out, man, it's just crushing. It doesn't even work with pets. Like I know people get dogs to fulfill this expectation, this homesickness, but dogs aren't designed to carry the full load of this weight. It just doesn't work. Listen to me. Using your agency to love anything but God will damn you. It will stop your progress. This is the abiding human problem. And, and legit, there, we're not just talking religiously. There's plenty of modern empirical research that backs this up. Studies find over and over a very weak correlation between wealth and contentment. Basically, the more prosperous a society grows, the more common depression is. There, there, you just can't fix your problems through loving anything else but God. There just straight up is a longing for more and no amount of things and not even the best people can fill it. C.S. Lewis says it this way, there is always something, and this is my third C.S. Lewis quote in one, <laughs> in one podcast, but it's so good. Quote, there is always something we grasped at in that first moment of longing that just fades away in the reality. The spouse may be a good spouse. The scenery has been excellent. It's turned out to be a good job, but it has evaded us, end quote. Verse 33, for man is spirit. The elements are eternal and spirit and element inseparably connected receive a fullness of joy. And when separated, man cannot receive a fullness of joy. The elements are the tabernacle of God. Yea, man is the tabernacle of God, even temples. In other words, when you are separated from God, you are not happy. So why would we ever abandon this relationship with God? Verse 39, And that wicked one cometh and taketh away light and truth through disobedience from the children of men and because of the traditions of their fathers. Why would we ever leave? Well, because there is an adversary. There is a real actual being that puts Voldemort to shame that wants to wreck you. And he tempts you to act in ways that separate you from God to be disobedient. I'm pretty sure you got a full grasp on how that works. The tradition though, man, maybe we think about that a little bit. We usually think of traditions as something old fashioned, but tradition simply means the transmission of opinions and practices. Dude, I'm telling you, there are tradition as he's using it here are just these things we absorb from sitting in our cultural goo. They're, they're the assumptions that everybody makes. Maybe consider this for a minute. What are some of the traditions of the world, the, the opinions and practices of the world, that just being in them are separating you from the light of God and increasing the amount of God homesickness you're feeling? Also, verse 25, and whatsoever is more or less than this is the spirit of that wicked one who was a liar from the beginning. So, so fascinating. What we're saying here is Satan tries to get you not only to be less righteous, but more righteous. That's weird, huh? He wants to get you into this idea that you can earn your way into heaven. 
keep a score sheet and go back through all your errors and make sure you're going to make it. That is not God to go back and remember your old sins. This is a central component to earthly existence. Uh, This balance between not being uh, too righteous and not being righteous enough, it's just finding this center point. When we were teaching our kids to to ride a bike, one thing we did is we'd take their, their pedals off their small bikes so that they could learn balance. They would push, push, glide. And in those moments, they would learn how to balance. Now, When Scout goes riding with me, he's just a baller. He can ride up through all sorts of things. We were down in Moab and he's hitting like these these sand piles and he's like still balanced and going sideways. And he's like, I'm a drift sensation. So like, where is that balance? Well, I'll tell you where it is. It's to just walk with Jesus. But we're getting ahead of ourselves just a little bit. Here's what we've established. Number one, we yearn for something more because we were made for something more. And number two, our actions on this earth to satisfy this longing most frequently are inadequate or downright damaging. Verse 24, and truth is knowledge of things as they are and as they were and as they are to come. So, What is the truth? Verily, thus saith the Lord, verse 1, It shall come to pass that every soul who forsaketh his sins and cometh unto me and calleth on my name and obeyeth my voice and keepeth my commandments shall see my face and know that I am. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, let go, forsake your sins, let go of those things that you were trying to use to satisfy your longing for home. Sin is just loving the wrong things. Sin is just trying, it's a substitute for that true longing. Number two, instead come unto Jesus and keep going with Jesus and become like Jesus. That's it. So step one, trust Jesus enough to let go of other methodologies you're using to find identity, pleasure, satisfaction, etc., and follow him instead. So the question is, why is Jesus the right choice to satisfy your longing? Well, verse two, Jesus says, I am the true light. And I know we're like five words into my explanation about Jesus being the right choice, but we got to stop and break this down. When he says, I am the true light, this is a pretty sweet analogy here. Light is electromagnetic radiation. And electromagnetic radiation is a form of energy. Now, don't, I don't know, fade out uh, on me because I'm talking some science here. But uh, electromagnetic radiation is created when an atomic particle, like an electron, is accelerated, causing the electronic field to move. Or in other words, it's a force that acts and causes movement or waves, light, energy, or power. So here's what I'm saying with this long definition or introduction. When Jesus says, I am the true light, he's saying, I am the actor that moves and creates. I give energy, light, and power to things. Now, I want to explore this idea of light just a little bit more. Most types of light are invisible to our eyes. Visible light makes up less than one ten billionth 
of the known electromagnetic spectrum. In other words, there is so, so much more to Jesus than you can even dream. So also a little bit more about light. Just think about how this applies to Jesus. Light moves in waves, so it can expand and radiate in all directions. It can interfere with other waves. It can bend around corners. It can carry energy and momentum. It can interact with other matter. Just just try and think about how that's like Jesus. Anyways, let's go back to why Jesus is the right choice to satisfy our longing. Verse 2. I am the true light that lighteth every man that cometh into the world. In other words, he powers every being in this world. You, you can even see light or electromagnetic radiation coming off people. You just have to get the right lens. Anyways, verse 3. And that I am in the Father and the Father in me and the Father and I are one. The Father, because he gave me of his fullness, and the Son, because I was in the world and made flesh my tabernacle and dwelt among the sons of men. I was in the world. Verse 11, I beheld his glory as the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, even the spirit of truth, which came and dwelt in the flesh and dwelt among us. So what are we really saying here? How do we satisfy this longing, this homesickness that we have? We connect to Jesus. Why? Because he knows us. He came down to be with us, like really with us. He was born to a a teenage mother in a captive nation, in an animal barn. His first bed is a feed trough. He was hunted. He was a refugee. He was lost, poor, lonely. And that was just as a kid. He fully condescended into this broken world and then condescended into death and hell itself. And he walked out full of glory. And so now he offers us a free gift of transformation and we can access it by taking refuge in his lifestyle. And as we take refuge in his lifestyle, as we take refuge in him, we are transformed by him. Verse 13, and he received not a fullness at first, but continued from grace to grace until he received a fullness. Verse 19, I give unto you this saying that you might understand how to worship and may know what you worship. That you may come unto the Father in my name in due time, receive of his fullness. Verse 20, for if you keep my commandments, you shall receive of a fullness and you shall be glorified in me as I am in the Father. Therefore, I say unto you, you shall receive grace for grace if you keep my commandments. Okay, so what I'm saying here, I'm going to go back here. Jesus grew little by little, grace to grace. And he's saying we will grow little by little as we take refuge in him and as we keep his commandments. Now, we use this phrase a lot, and it carries a lot of baggage and a lot of negative baggage with us. So let's re-examine it afresh. If you look up a definition of the word keep, keep means to own, manage, guard, or protect. A keep is also the strongest um, place in a castle. It's the, the final refuge place. And commandments mean to have um, or exercise a controlling influence over something or someone. So if you keep my commandments, in other words, you continue to have Jesus 
as a controlling influence in your life, or you take refuge in the controlling influence of Jesus in your life. That's a different way to look at it, right? Keep my commandments or take refuge in me as the controlling influence in your life. Verse 19, I give unto you these sayings that you may understand how to worship. How do we worship? Well, we take refuge in Jesus and in his pattern of life. And know what you worship, Jesus, that you may come unto the Father in my name and in due time receive the fullness. Verse 22, and all the, those who are begotten through me are partakers of the glory in the same. Begotten means to, to bring a child into existence by the, this process of reproduction or recreation. So he's saying, all those who are recreated in me, because they have taken in, uh, refuge in me and taken refuge in my pattern or my lifestyle, will be recreated and be able to experience the glory of God. So when we talk about obedience, we're not talking about earning our way into heaven. I'm saying as we walk with Jesus imperfectly, staggeringly, almost drunkenly, we will be transformed through this association. It's not about you. It's not about grit. He says, receive this, be begotten by me. Commandments simply show you where Jesus is so you can hang out with him. It's kind of like being a missionary. My, my first two companions were honestly not great missionaries. And then I got with my third companion, Elder Gilbert from Corpus Christi, Texas. Being with him, being engaged with him, laughing with him, working hard with him, being with Jesus, being absorbed by that transformed me and transformed my mission. You've experienced this before with family members, roommates, or friends, how their goodness just saturates into you. And sometimes how their badness just saturates into you. Um... What I'm saying is when we walk with Jesus, we will be transformed. And when we get off the path, we begin again and we turn back. Let me show you what this process is like. Um, This is the true story of Todd Sylvester told in his own words. You can watch him tell his own story um, in the video, Hope of God's Light at churchofjesuschrist.org. You can just search it up. But I want you to watch what happens when somebody begins to walk with Jesus. Todd, he says this, For nearly 25 years, I wandered. I was born in 1968 to a good family, though we didn't believe in God. In fact, as I grew older, I began to make fun of people who thought God was real. I didn't need somebody else's make-believe God. I was certain he wasn't there. From age 14 to 22, I lived entirely for myself. I was popular in high school and I partied hard. I even won two state basketball championships. By age 18, I had a full ride scholarship to play college basketball. I felt like I was on my way. But four years later, it all came crashing down. I made some bad choices. And gradually, I lost everything I had earned. I'll never forget the day at age 22 on the Thursday that I decided to end my life. I sat in the school cafeteria that day thinking about how I was going to do it. How I would spend my last weekend on earth. When I overheard two girls at a nearby table talking about fasting and prayer, 
I interrupted, asking them what fasting was. One of them told me it was something they did when they wanted help from God. It seemed so silly, but I listened, intrigued. That night, all alone, I knelt down and I prayed for the first time in my life. I told God I was going to fast, that I'd go without food and water for 24 hours, but that I wanted him to show himself to me. So I fasted. And for the first time in eight years, I went without drugs and alcohol. But by the next day, nothing had happened. I didn't want to end my life anymore, but God never spoke to me. And so I forgot about the whole thing. I knew he didn't exist. I went on with my life. And then oddly, a month later, an old friend called, inviting me over. A friend I hadn't seen in five years. So we hung out one day, catching up on old times. When out of the blue, he said, Todd, I don't know how to tell you this. I was scared to even invite you over. But yesterday I had a strong impression from God to call you. And God impressed me to tell you that he needs you on his side today. I was speechless. Was God real? Had he answered my prayer? Had he sent someone to me? I couldn't believe it, but he had. With my friend's help over the next year and a half, I fought like a lion to overcome all my problems. Up and down I went, succeeding and failing along the way. But little by little, I started to see small but obvious things happen in my life. The answer to questions that had long bothered me began to be revealed. Slowly, things started to change. Finally, I decided to attend church. One day, someone there reached out, inviting me to a church-sponsored picnic. I felt a bit awkward about it, but I decided to go. It turned out to be the straightest party I had ever been to. No drugs, no alcohol, silly games for the kids everyone had brought. And then we had lunch, and someone wanted to pray over the hot dogs. I thought it was strange, but I bowed my head and closed my eyes. And then my life changed. Two years after that initial fasting prayer, 700 days after I pleaded with God in my closet, I felt something I had never felt in my life. Something 20 times stronger than any drug I had ever taken. It was as if someone were hugging me. As if someone were telling me I was home. That these people were good. And that I needed to be with them. That God was here. And that he knew me by name and that he loved me. I had always thought that if... God were to manifest himself to me that he would come down in a lightning bolt or in a great clash of fire. But I learned that day at the picnic I was wrong. I realized that it is part of our condition as mortals to sometimes feel as though we are surrounded by darkness. But even though we may feel lost, God promises to illuminate the way before us no matter how long it takes. For two years, God had nurtured a questioning soul little by little. 
He had given me as much as I could handle until the day I was humble enough to hear fully what he wanted to tell me. I also learned by my own experience that spiritual light rarely comes to those who merely sit in darkness waiting for someone to flip a switch. It takes an act of faith to open our eyes to the light of Christ. Twenty years later, I still don't know everything, but I now know who I am. I know who God is, and I know that God's light is real. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.